I V M Can there ever be sand without a mafia in India? Why do Indians have toilets at home but defecate outside? And does anyone ever use a toilet for health reasons? Welcome to the Pragati podcast where we discuss all this and more. I'm your host Pavan Srinath and we bring you the latest in economics, politics and policy every fortnight. This week we have Nidhi Gupta and Tejasvi Udupa joining us in studio. Tejasvi will be telling us about how the construction sand market is evolving in Karnataka. In the second half Nidhi will be discussing sanitation and the Swachh Bharat Abhiyan with us. Tejasvi Udupa is the CTO of Buildkar, an online marketplace for all construction materials. Tejasvi is also one of India's most prolific quizzers and knows something about everything. Today, Tejasvi joins us to talk about the sand market in India. Sand is essential for all construction, but its use comes with a lot of challenges from, you know, environmental damage of riverbeds to the prevalence of mafias to a lot more. So, Tejasvi is saying that something interesting might be happening in Karnataka. So, tell us a little more about the sand market. Right. So, sand is a natural resource like pretty much anything from diamonds to petrol to a lot of things that we use as is existing in the environment but all these other things it's far more structured in the way we are using them petrol you have a lot of regulation the government tells you what you can do where you can do things where you cannot do things diamonds at least has one or two very large organizations whatever little mafia is happening with the whole blood diamonds thing is smaller in scale compared to the more organized structured trade that's happening right i mean if anything you have the problem of monopolies there right but correct which is a different problem which is a different problem altogether and economics is a way of solving those problems sand is very interesting in india because there is very little even though there is regulations on paper i have not come across too many players in the market who are actually adhering to those regulations very few I mean, even on the demand side of things, people don't really ask for whether those regulations are being met or not, except right. for a few people who are very, let's say, environment conscious or very careful about making sure that that their particular projects have never overstepped any kind of a line. But otherwise, sand is a very unorganized market in India, and what it has meant is that wherever it's and what's what's interesting is that you would think, ah, so it's okay. There's a lot of sand in the world. We can go ahead and do this. Uh, most, so, but where do you get the sand from? Exactly. Most of the sand that's there, naturally available, is on beaches and stuff like that. But you cannot use that sand for construction at all because that, just like you cannot use salt water for drinking, uh, beach sand or sea sand is not meant, not fit for construction at all because it its chemical composition is going to actually corrode into whatever steel you're using in, in your construction. So, it's completely pointless. You use any sort of sea sand for your constructions, that building is going to fall right. all the time so okay. it's the same thing in even in large places like Dubai and all those things they I mean it's always funny imagining a place like Dubai importing sand from outside <laughs> because they have so much of it right there but even they have to because the sand that is locally available, available is very saline in, in its content so okay. in India all the sand comes from riverbeds okay and in South India it's off late at least it's become a huge problem it's become a almost every pop culture Aficionado knows that there's a lot of mafia involved in this thing because you look at a hit Kannada movie, possibly the biggest Kannada movie in the past five years, Rangita Ranga, the entire premise is based on 
illegal sand mining that's happening in the South Kerala region. You look at a bunch of Malayalam movies, a bunch of Tamil movies. It's always, uh, I mean, once upon a time, your criminal masterminds used to want to bomb some place. Now all your criminal masterminds are just mining riverbeds for sand. So <laughs> it has become, so as soon as people hear. And there is no, I mean, it's very hard to do legitimate sand in India, right? I mean, like most riverbeds are uh, in peril. It's not like anyone's done testing of, you know, what's the natural rate of production of sand by the river flow such that you can do sustainable stuff. Correct. Uh, what is interesting is that before it became so profitable to mine sand, it used to happen naturally because the best sand hmm. back then was the sand that you could easily get at without expending too much effort. Okay. And the way most rivers flow, they start in the mountains, come down into the plains and then eventually reach the sea. The place where they descend from the mountains or the plateaus and enter the plains is where sand naturally gets collected right. a lot on both sides of the river. So with, with Kaveri, it happens near Trichy because that's where it has exited the Ghat portion finally and has, has entered lowland kind of a thing. Every river has its natural place for sand you know, accumulation. Sand exactly, sand accumulation. And that was how it used to happen all the time earlier. People would just go there. They didn't have to actually divert the flow of the river. They didn't have to actually hit the riverbed. They would get a lot of sand on the sides of the river itself. And that was what was being So that's an interesting proxy. It's easy so you can take it. Exactly. But that worked as well. Hmm. What has happened now is that the supply from this easy kind of sand mining has far... You know, it's not going to meet the demand at all. Right. And that is the reason why all these guys have gotten into this illegal sand mining kind of a thing. See, this was completely unorganized. If somebody had planned this properly, if the government had stepped in much earlier and said, hey, no, this is how many tons of sand that should be actually produced or, right. or, or have any sort of guidelines or where you can actually mine them, where you are not supposed to mine them and stuff sure. like that. And yeah, yeah, if demand is high, then supply somehow, somehow meets. Exactly. So that, that that is what has happened. So sand, interestingly, now is no more sold in terms of tonnage. It's not sold in terms of how many cubic feet of sand you're buying. Sand now, at least in Karnataka, is sold entirely by a new unit of weight called truck. <laughs> this is because all these guys... So Just like our garbage, right? <laughs> truckload. No yes. idea what's in that truck. <laughs> exactly. And there is at least some standardization in terms of how a sand truck looks. You mm -hmm. ask any lorry driver, he will tell you whether this particular truck is for a sand thing or whether it's for any normal kind of a freight that they're carrying. And people are just going to fill that particular truck until the top. You don't know how much that may contain. You don't know where the base of that particular container is. Right. You have to blindly assume that whatever you're buying, at least has 80% of what you think you're okay. paying for. And the rates are preposterous. In the past three years that I've been dealing with various construction materials, I'm seeing these rates go up way beyond the normal rates of inflation. Right now, people are paying around 25 to 30,000 per truck. Wow. And a small, let's say you have a 30-40 site and you're building a tiny little home there, you would need at least a dozen trucks of so, sand. Too. So just a city like Bangalore needs thousands of trucks on a daily basis. Exactly. And, and in spite of all this mafia getting in, in spite of them trying their best to meet the demand and still make a lot of money for themselves, the amount of natural river sand that we have right now in Karnataka is way below the actual demand that is there for sand. And that is where something interesting has happened in the past few years. 
this new concept called M sand has come about. Okay. What's the M? The in M, M here is manufactured. Okay. Sand is used in construction for a very simple reason. It 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 has certain physical and chemical properties that makes it appropriate to be mixed with cement and other things while making concrete. Now, if you know what is it that sand brings to the table in terms of its use in construction? Why can't you actually just manufacture it in in, in a large factory? Right, and that is I mean, sand is after all weathered rock, right? Exactly, uh, boiled down to a certain size of some sort. Correct. So sand is usually quartz that gets okay, but um, it's, it's not the composition that is actually what is important for sand. It's the fact that it is of a certain size, mm-hmm. and it's. The, and it shouldn't have certain nasty things exactly. like some salts. The, the more exactly, the more neutral the sand is in terms of its chemical composition, that's the best sand. Which is the reason why they prefer river sand because it does not have all the saline content and all the other various things that the seabed usually throws up. Okay. And Bangalore is essentially in that part of the country where there's a lot of natural granite available. You. Mm-hmm. Even while going to the airport in Bangalore, you're going to see a whole bunch of granite quarries on either side that are being dug up all the time and stuff like that. And I'm not sure who first came up with this idea, but a whole bunch of stone crushers, which earlier were supplying other things for the construction industry, which is what you call as jelly stones. Yeah, little granite. Exactly, exactly. So various kinds of such aggregates were being supplied by these guys. So they would mine these granite hills. And break them down into various things. So there's also this concept called size stone. Size mm-hmm. stone is essentially your large rectangular slab that you use right. for boundary walls and stuff like that. All of them used to come from these factories called as stone crushers. Mm-hmm. And they, they knew, huh, this is what the construction industry needs in terms of its granite requirements. And this is what we will supply to them. And all of them, they figured out if my stone crushers can break down this large chunks of granite into Jelly is usually around, you know, 22, 22 to 30 kind of millimeters across. That's the usual size of a jelly stone. Mm-hmm. Sand is around one one tenth, one fifteenth of that. If the crusher can bring down a large chunk of granite to the size of a jelly stone, it can just as easily bring it down to the size of a sand granule. Mm-hmm. And that is what these guys started doing. So these stone crushers started now manufacturing sand using the same set of equipment that they already had to manufacture jelly stones and stuff like that. So that is where this whole M sand thing started. So it became because natural river sand was becoming near impossible to find. And there are a lot of Bangalore because there's so much construction, there is so much demand, all the river sand that gets mined ends up in Bangalore, which means that all the other smaller cities where construction is happening, it just pretty much stopped because there is no sand there at all. Right. And, this, and this, I mean, we keep hearing about interminable construction delays, right? Anyone who wants to build a house, you never know your supplies. Correct. Uh, and you have labor one day and then the sand vanishes and all that. Correct. And in most of the times, if a construction has stopped midway, it's one. It's for one of two things. Either the money has run out because most of these guys, the builders and stuff like that are not people who manage their cash flows very well. Or it's because they're waiting for some material to turn up, which almost... Right now, in the past two, three years, if somebody is waiting for material to continue the construction, you can be rest assured it's sand because that's <laughs> the one because everything else is easily available. Sand is the one which has now become such a precious kind of a resource. And that this is where MSAND tried to solve that problem, but it, it had another big problem to overcome, which was the mindset of all these contractors who are all, or at least a good chunk of them are civil engineers and or are just people who have been in this line of business 
forever. And in their heads, the only thing that works is reverse sand. Okay. So they did not like the idea of M sand at all. You could not easily convince them with the argument that, hey, look, this works. This is actually better because you have more control over mm-hmm. all the factors. You know, all the grains are going to be of uniform size. Right. There is absolutely no other chemical impurities which your natural reverse sand might have had. So this is actually better. Nope. And it probably also looks like a slightly different color, right? Maybe a little more gray or something. Exactly. It does not look like sand. It looks, it looks whitish gray, depending on the granite, it can, the, I mean, you you, you get M sand that is almost pure white in color. You get M sand that is almost a very dark steel gray kind of thing. Unlikely that it'll be the sand color. Yes, it will never be a beige colored thing that you expect sand to be. And it, it won't, and because sand is quartz, it has more shiny elements because you look at sand, you take it in your hand, you will see it mm-hmm. reflect a lot of light and stuff like that. That won't happen with M-Sand. M-Sand looks dull. Right. And you know, this this visual thing is so big. I remember there were farmers, I think in Wayanad. Uh, Wayanad had a problem where they didn't have enough magnesium in the soil. Mm. So to their regular white color, um, uh, what do you say, fertilizer, they were supposed to add magnesium, which turns it like a dull brown. Correct. I thought it's like bad fertilizer and I shouldn't buy this. <laughs> right? So there's a lot of this Correct, the, the psychology that goes in. Exactly. Because they're not basing it on rational principles of physics or chemistry anymore. They and are, there is no trust for people who will say that, yes, this is better. And what's worse is these, uh, for example, if I had somehow read up about how M-Sand is actually better than sand and have instructed my contractor to actually procure M-Sand, my contractor will come back to me and say, hey, look, if you need me to take responsibility of your building, please go get river sand. Okay. They, they try and indemnify themselves okay. from using this new material because they've never worked with it and they're, they're scared. I mean, they're scared, yeah. And building safety is a thing, right? Correct. I mean, however weak it is in India. Exactly. And you know that the contractor knows that if the building collapses or if something bad happens, he's the one who's going to get the blame, which in turn affects his livelihood for right. the rest of his career. Right. Nobody is ever going to give a project to a contractor or a civil engineer whose construction fell apart. Mm-hmm. And this guy did not take to M-Sand at all. So M-Sand suddenly had the other problem. There was a lot of supply. Mm-hmm. Even though there was potential demand, this this set of customers just did not want the M-Sand. Right. Even and though there was scarcity on the other side. Exactly. They, they would, okay, fine, let me stall construction for a month. I will wait for maybe a new source of river sand to come in, which is true. That's how, uh, so for a while... Trichy was very popular as a place from where river sand used to be supplied to Bangalore. Right now, Gudur is very popular as a place from where river sand is supplied to Bangalore. There used to be Harihara in the Tungabhadra region, which used okay. to be very popular around two years ago for river sand. So this so, particular thing keeps changing. So all pseudo the time. brands based on location. Exactly. People in India are so used to this. I mean, even our commodities are branded in India. We will go ahead and ask for. Even in cement, cement at the end of the day is a pure commodity. It has the same chemical composition. But people will ask for a gimme Birla Super or gimme ACC because they've seen. And that's the reason why these guys spend so much on advertising, plaster every wall with their ads on highways and everything. Because they know that in India, people like some name recognition. Right. And the same thing happened. No, and the brand, in general, the premise of the brand is you assure quality. Correct. And then... Once you know a brand and if they fail in quality, then you don't buy that brand anymore. There's some... Yes, at least in cement, you have that. Hmm. In river sand, what are you going to do? You're not even testing it for right. anything really. So you're just going by this general opinion that huh, 
sand from Trichy's coat. Right. And so Never you mind all that. that dog poop that goes in once it's <laughs> near your house, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was the problem. So these. Uh, so how did this market? So is this changing? What it is changing, and for whatever the intentions might be of the government, which is actually helping this change right now, uh, it's changing because now the government has mandated, for example, the Karnataka government for any project that's happening, a government project that's happening, they've mandated the use of manufactured sand. Oh wow! Okay. So they they've automatically destroyed one segment of the market for river sand because right. Government projects are one of the biggest constructions that happen in pretty much any state in India, and all these government projects are now using M sand. Okay, and they're also promoting M sand a lot. You'll hear our PWD minister always talk about M sand. They're giving them SOPs and tax benefits for the stone crushers and everything. So government is doing its bit to make M sand very attractive, and that is slowly working. Okay. I mean, I have my doubts as to why the government is doing it. I do not think that they're doing it because they've suddenly become very conscious about the environment or they've suddenly decided that hey, we need to stop the mafia. But for whatever political reasons they're doing it, right. uh, some good things are happening there because they are now finally bring, bringing the supply and demand closer together for M sand. Because on these government projects, the civil engineers and the contractors and the mestris and everybody who work they're more or less the same guys it's, it's a tight knit community more or less the same guys who are working on your private construction projects as well and now that they've worked with them sent that amount of confidence has already okay been yeah gone into their head that how so it works are. one place so exactly. i'll use it this this works as a material we might as well take it so Right and now, sometimes people start uh, using such things uh, when in trouble, right? Oh, we've run out of sand, what to do? Okay, chalo, we'll use M sand Correct. and start so, somewhere. Exactly. So earlier, that was pretty much the only market for M sand of people who couldn't, could not wait anymore for, uh, you know, or were just aghast at the price that they had to pay for river sand because M sand is around a third cheaper. At the very okay. least. So it's about what ten thousand bucks a truck. Yes, for the same amount, you would hmm. pay around eight thousand to ten thousand rupees. Okay, which is much much cheaper. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, even in M Sand, the past couple of years, because it's now a more organized bunch of entities who are there in this market, branding has started. Okay. Now, now, to the extent so M Sand sounds very boring, right? I mean, like like M Sand. I mean, it doesn't capture my imagination. <laughs> Exactly. You know, so there are people now who don't just ask for M-Sand. They will ask for, for example, the most popular brand right now is something called as RoboSand. Okay. It's not made by robots, <laughs> but the brand's name is Robo. And there are people who are going to ask for RoboSand as opposed to M-Sand. Because okay. in their heads, there is M-Sand. There are many levels of grades of M-Sand. Okay. And this particular M-Sand called RoboSand is of a better quality than all of them. So RoboSand can now charge you a premium for Okay. That particular bit. Fair enough. And and, and they I'll, deserve to, right? I mean, exactly, if, if yeah. they can and, demonstrate value. And now all the other big players who are in other parts of the construction industry are slowly stepping in into the M sand market as well because all these cement factories, for example, JSW, for example, mm-hmm. all these guys already have the necessary equipment and wherewithal to manufacture this. And sourcing granite is easy. Sourcing granite is easy. JSW is trying interesting things as well. So, their steel and cement works produces a lot of things that that were otherwise wasted. Okay. They're now crushing that into... Okay. So, for example, JSW sells something called a slag cement, which again is things that were rejected from the other processes okay. that has now become this. So, 
So in the sense that market is now far more developed, right? So it's you a, have. It, so we're in an interesting stage where it is developing. So you, okay, what you're now seeing in Karnataka and in a couple of other states as well, and but Karnataka is at the forefront, possibly because of the fact that the government is also lending a helping hand. What you're seeing is how a new commodity essentially develops and how its economics actually plays out. How brands get introduced how how people's purchasing patterns change how a mindset changes and all those things i think at the end of this the set of people who are going to be hurt the most are the ones who got into the whole sand mining mafia fairly late in the game <laughs> so <laughs> i don't think they will be garnering too much sympathy from the general public <laughs> but fair enough so and, and this is probably how you know the sand mafia story in karnataka at least is going to come to an end because it's going to take a very long time before a mafia kind of a illegal operation can start in a new commodity like hemp and so right no and mafias usually start up when you have legitimate demand and supply is blocked correct banned correct you know restricted in some yeah, way yeah, and where, where the market is fine exactly which is why you have prohibition is great news for criminals because that's where they can always make money whenever alcohol gets banned anywhere right you'll have a bunch of uh, these mafias that crop up right and so, so long as you have legitimate businesses i mean people are happy correct, doing this correct what 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 instead will happen in msand is what has happened in a bunch of other commodity markets in india you'll start finding cartels soon right so in, in cement for example there was a massive cartelization and Correct. the competition commission slammed yeah. them but and in spite of that they still continuing yeah, yeah, the exact to the same. court and uh, yeah so do all of that. that 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 is another interesting but that's still altogether. a higher level problem to deal exactly. with and it's a, it's a problem that can be dealt with in a organized fashion right and so here there is no regulatory capacity no enforcement capacity exactly. of the state so we are going from a bad equilibrium to a slightly better slightly one slightly better one is this move from sand to this very boring sounding m sand in a way is actually one of the better things that has happened in the construction industry at least in karnataka in the real estate market and everything because it took a hit big time with demonetization happening because this was one of those industry where a lot of things actually happened on cash as opposed to mm-hmm. you know more formalized ways of banking and it did take a hit when various economic decisions were taken in the past year but this is one thing that has actually solved one other big problem that was there so at least uh, when the economics side of it stabilizes you don't have to go back to facing the very unstructured np hard kind of a problem of how do we get river sand for our building anymore so that that is definitely changing okay thanks for coming in yeah thanks pawan great talking to you hi i'm may and i'm a huge fan of the indie music scene in our country a scene that's relatively underground even though it sometimes peaks its head overground but there's no shortage of talent and I get the privilege of interviewing some of the most awesome musicians on my show I've had the likes of Euphoria, Kirsch Kale, Hardcore, Randolph Coria, I've had singer-songwriters, folk singers, electronic music producers, playback singers, rappers, fusion artists, instrumentalists, classical musicians and so on whether mainstream or not these people have chosen to release their original music and these are the people currently shaping the direction in which our music scene is heading join me on my show every monday and tune in to discover the unique talent coming out of india today you can catch made in india on your favorite podcasting app or our very own ivm podcast app
Welcome back to the Pragati podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host Pavan and Nidhi Gupta who's a contributing writer to Pragati. Uh welcome to the show Nidhi. Uh so October 2nd is a very important day in this country. Uh not at least because it's a dry day. It also now marks 3 years of the Swachh Bharat campaign. Yes, so, you completely ignored Mahatma Gandhi. Go, go, good going, Hamsini. I did not forget that bit, Pavan. <laughs> But before we go into Swachh Bharat, I think we should talk a little bit about sanitation in general, right? What is the current state of sanitation in the country? So, Nidhi, how would you uh, look at this? Because Swachh Bharat Abhiyan has a big mandate, a bigger mandate than previous uh, schemes. Uh, so, where would you locate the problems in sanitation? Right. So, um, thanks for having me over. um so we have around 600 million people in the country who defecated the open mm-hmm. that is roughly 60% of the total population that defecates in the open in the world resides in india so that's how large it is and uh, swachh bharat abhiyan is targeted uh, mainly towards uh, you know removing open defecation from the country um it has two parts the rural and the urban part and rural is targeted mostly towards uh removal of open defecation eradicating manual scavenging uh and everything that takes to get towards that so that's how big a problem we are dealing with okay so nidhi why are so many people defecating in the open what makes indian special in that sense so um you know we have to know that traditionally we think of ourselves as clean very pure people and defecation is associated with impurity with pollution so we don't want that in our houses and so you know people in the rural households especially they say let's do it away from the house let's go out in the open in the fields when it's dark and let's do it away from our personal space which should be very very clean and pure so that's i mean where you have where you plant tulsi in the house where you cook food right you cannot in the same space also have pollutants or you know make it impure yourself so you're saying this is a reason why they don't even want a toilet in the house yeah that so that is one of the reasons even though it's a separate room where you go do it they don't want to. well you know so we do know that you can construct a toilet but maybe people won't use it because you know they still go by this belief Mm-hmm. that you shouldn't add impurities to your own clean space so it's a lot about changing the behavior when it comes to uh changing you know, to to making people use toilets okay so you're saying that essentially people's behavior is locked in a different mindset right uh, so. like ritual hygiene has often been very inward focused keep your surroundings clean yes. keep this clean anything outside is right something else that's why you know we want to keep our house clean we throw things outside we want to keep our car clean so we can throw the banana peel outside right um and it just continues okay so so you're saying it's not because india's poor that we have um a sanitation problem this is something much deeper than that yeah it's not because we are poor right so no i mean the why i'm asking I this mean, there is are, uh, look at our neighbors i mean our problem with open defecation is much larger than any of our neighboring countries mm-hmm. and it is not that we are poorer than our neighboring countries we're not right, right? so so th- then tell me i mean government thinking on this has for the longest time been look people in india are poor they don't have the money to build a toilet so chalo we'll give them Ten thousand rupees, fifteen thousand rupees, something, and then we'll build a toilet for them. People will build it and use it, mm. right? And that's not worked very well so far, right? 
So they have, uh, even with Swachh Bharat Abhiyan, you know, uh, I think the target is to construct some 11 crore toilets. Mm-hmm. And while uh, I think we are doing fairly okay with uh, achieving this target of constructing toilets, mm-hmm. if one goes by the metric of usage of toilets, it's it's not, you know, we, we aren't doing well. Right. And, that's and this was a big thing that was revealed even before the Swachh Bharat Abhiyan when the 2011 census came out. Right? right. Because this was after, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, in 1997, uh, the... Previous NDA government probably started the total sanitation campaign. Yeah, then, they, then it was called the Nirmal Bharat Abhiyan. Yeah, that was during the, yes, the uh, Congress era in right. the last five years. So uh, in 2011, people were claiming that after whatever, 13 years of the total sanitation campaign, in rural India had 80% toilets or 60% toilets. Incredibly high numbers. Right. Then census comes out and says... Sorry, it's just 30%. Right. So you had all these stories about where are the ghost toilets? Where did they all go? And so on. And so that's they, something... They are used for something else. Even now there are stories that, you know, the toilets are constructed, but then they're used as storehouses or they just lie there. Then the doors get stolen. Then some the taps get stolen. get stolen. Right. So, there are various levels of these ghosts, right? Some which are never built, right? Yeah. It's money that's eaten away. Something's happened. Uh, then if they're built, they're sort of dead on arrival. And then there are those which can work on arrival. Which work for a while. And then go and to then, put. Yeah. And then those that work, but people don't want it. So they get converted to other things. Right. So I've read reports which say that there are toilets in villages, which were built with government subsidy. And then they're being used to store things. So it's just this extra little room that you can build with the government money. And right. now you can use it to store your greens, store right. you know, whatever. So, and they are in pristine condition. So how you know that they've not been used is because when people go for inspection, if a toilet is being used, it will not look like it's right. you know brand new, but they look completely new. So, you know. So, so since we've been doing this for a while, haven't we learned the lesson? Are we, so in Swachh Bharat Abhiyan, are we doing anything new? Um, so it does talk about behavior change. Mm-hmm. They have it as one of their missions. Okay. But I mean, we have to understand that behavior change, one, takes a long time. Mm-hmm. You have to address behavior change at individual level, at community level. And also behavior change is, it flows from top to bottom in the sense that if I see my city, my village, you know, doing those things, then it affects me. If I see the uh, local bodies being worried about cleanliness as much as I should be at an individual level, then yes, it makes a difference. If you go outside India, you see, it is very visible that the cities, the districts, you know, the villages make a clear effort on keeping their surroundings clean. Right. And so even the individuals are affected by it, then I want to contribute to it, right? Mm-hmm. Then I feel that, okay, it is also my civic duty to do it. So there is, of course, the individual aspect of it. But if you want to link it to more community, more, uh, you know, as a community behavior, as a civic responsibility, then it has to flow in multiple ways. And we we tend to miss that. So you're saying the norm building of cleanliness isn't present at the individual level or at a community level? The norm building isn't present at the community level. Mm -hmm. You know, so the government is trying to tell you that, uh, you know, don't defecate in the open because it's uh, going to cause disease to you. But I think there has to be more. We have to see more towards people cleaning the streets, what happens or telling that, you know, manual scavenging. And one of the goals, by the way, of Swachh Bharat, 
rural is also to eradicate manual scavenging completely mm-hmm. and we don't know who manual scavengers are have you even seen anyone do it because they work in the dark right so we don't know what kind of work they do when they do it they're invisible and as long as they remain invisible nobody would care about them right, right? so uh nithi i think the big thing that has changed in the last few years is that sanitation has become a dominant topic in policy discourse you know i remember i was working for a water and sanitation foundation a few years ago and uh, till about 2010 2012 the biggest challenge was getting any politician to come and talk about anything related to shit right and that was the thing people would come and inaugurate clean drinking water projects because you know you want to be associated with clean water and so on nobody wants to be associated with shit okay. it was that kind of a visceral distaste for the topic and frankly i think jairam ramesh should be given the credit for being the first big indian politician to uh, bat for sanitation in a big way and uh, you know modi followed soon after to his yeah. credit and you know soon after getting elected making swachh bharat abhiyan a big part of the platform so along with that i think whether it's worked or not there was an attempt for the first time ever to do this sort of moral suasion right that swachhata is important we all need to do our bit maybe there was a I little bit f- of fanfare it received from politicians and from celebrities the way it was launched we had you know photographs of politicians holding brooms everywhere um, you see it on the new notes by the way the swachh bharat right. logo um, and demonetization can you imagine mnrga on like a yeah. congress printed <laughs> note yeah, yeah. it scares so, me a little um and even with demonetization remember cleanliness was one of the words used that we want to clean the black money and uh, so right. cleanliness has been on top of mr modi's agenda whatever kind of cleanliness you know uh-huh. of course we can all have our own versions of right. cleanliness and in all his man ki baat episodes he makes sure that he talks about swachh bharat abhiyan and cleanliness uh, he keeps it at the top of his agenda now whether it is all tokenism No I think not, the I attempt think at, at least, moral suasion is good yes. in fact the approach for uh, in the past has also been you know get people of authority to talk to the people about changing their ways you know so there was always active courting of say religious leaders and others because the idea was that if they tell people to not defecate in the open maybe they won't yeah. right but even this the business of keeping things clean i i see the association with solid waste management a little better you know don't litter pick up litter you don't handle sanitation that way though right that's about user toilet yeah. linking you know shramata or action with using a toilet or very very distinct right and uh, actually think about it yourself do you use a toilet for health reasons who the hell uses toilets for health reasons you use them because they're convenient right right so sort of uh, hectoring people that uh, you know take care of your health don't poop out in the open seems a little silly to me right and we ha- we have to also understand that you know women folk in rural areas there is a different kind of attribution that they get in their families so you know they they are supposed to be responsible for keeping the house clean and making it you know making everything work seamlessly so of course they must go out in the open do it away from the home and it's not about like you're saying you know it's not about your own health right. it's about cleanliness it's about right. purity and when now the government is trying that you know to make it open defecation free we have to remember that we must link it with convenience as well mm-hmm. and uh, so at least some of the 
pilot projects that they have been doing in various places. One that they tried in Davangere in Karnataka was where they tried to understand what are the uh, behavioral factors associated with defecating. So mm-hmm. there is disgust, there is anxiety, um, and there is, of course, the con- control in some sense, right? That I can go when I want to go. Right. And that is what we should play on when we are looking at behavior changes, mm-hmm. right? So I think one thing that they tried doing, which I think is a very good uh, example, is that uh, in the villages, they saw that, you know, display of affection towards women on a men's part is not taken very well. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, display of responsibility towards a girl child mm-hmm. is appreciated by everybody. Okay. So they played on that emotion and they said that, uh, you know, do this for your girl child, you know, build toilets so that she doesn't have to go out very mm-hmm. far away from the house so that she doesn't have to face strange men or, you know, be bitten by yeah stuff. snakes or indignities or, you know, maybe there is rape or, you know, she can be teased by other boys and they made movies, posters around it. And that seems to have taken, you know, have, have had some impact. Okay. So you have to look at the context as well, right? Here in India, and especially in the rural areas, no man will ever say, I want to do this for my wife because, you know, I think this is very important for her. But you can say that, oh, I this is my responsibility for my child to do right. it, whether it be a girl child or a boy child. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the kind of behavior changes we need to induce. Right. So in this context, uh, I'm, I was actually very disappointed when I saw that uh, the Swachh Bharat Abhiyan's funding for uh, communication, what they call IEC, right. Information and Communication, information education actually and communication. was slashed a little because most of the outreach and communication we are seeing comes from the Prime Minister's office, right. usually with the Prime Minister's face, right? Uh, where the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting is taking on a much bigger PR role and actual local behavior change in communication has probably taken a hit. Yeah, so... Uh like you've talked about in the past that, you know, sanitation is a subject that the cities have to deal with. The prime minister can nudge people, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's the cities and the budgets to do this has to come out of cities as well. And they have to understand that they must invest as much as they are investing in constructing toilets. They must also invest in increasing the usage of toilets. Otherwise, you know, you're creating a problem of a different kind. Right. So you're right. The budgets are being slashed, mm-hmm. but we must stop that from happening and invest more in, uh, you know, inducing behavior changes. Right. So and one of part course, of it is some sort of a demand generation, right? So even right. if you're giving the subsidy, it's about sort of greasing the wheels such that yeah, that and, works And the well. example that I gave you about, you know, making fathers responsible for their children mm-hmm. is some kind of demand generation, right? You increase the demand for getting the toilets constructed and then telling right. them that use it. And of course, you have to look at different kinds of behavioral uh, uh, interventions that you could have. When you're getting it towards children, it has to be different. If you're getting it towards elderly, it has to be different, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to also know that, uh, you know, old people who have been doing this for decades altogether, if you want them to change their behavior, mm-hmm. uh, it's a different, you know, emotion that you need to appeal to. Right. Correct. And if it's children, you have to, you know, who are being instructed by their parents and who, when they go and defecate in the open, uh, you know, what their parents think 
when they send them to a field, right. they probably accompany their parents. If they are sending their child to a community toilet, uh, you know, let's say if they're not building one in their household, if they're sending one to a public toilet, what are the kind of risks they are thinking of? So I have a few stories to share here. Uh, one of the approaches that is a little controversial, but uh, reasonably popular, something called CLTS, Community-Led right. Total Sanitation. Yeah. So this is this thing where uh, it's actually you whip up the community into a fervor that, you know, you actually uh, enhance the disgust. So there are these uh, guys who go around villages and uh, so one aspect of it is public shaming. Use little kids to point out people who are defecating out in the open. Sounds quite nasty <laughs> to me, but put, people say it's put effective. these posters with big eyes uh, in open defecation areas so that you feel like you're being watched. Right. Or put these posters with a dog pooping there and say, hey, you know, dogs do it here. Do you want to do it as well? Right. So I've seen posters of yeah, this kind I've as well. I've also seen something a little more dramatic where people actually pick up some of the poop, mix it with soil in a glass and say, and then look at dirty brown water and say, this is what you're drinking every day. You know, these dramatic things that are a little scary. But to me, there's a little bit of a mob uh, mobilization aspect to it, which uh, unnerves me a little bit about sort of ostracizing people who defecate in the open. So I, I honestly don't know enough to pass a judgment on this, but it just troubles me. So another behavioral problem uh, with toilets usage in the rural area is that people think that the pit latrines that they use mm-hmm. get filled up in a month or two and then somebody has to come and clean it and, uh, you know, it leads to disease. That's actually false. Right. You know, pits last for years together. Yeah. And you can also have twin pit latrines where when one gets filled, you know, you right. shift it and you use the second one. And then the, you know, decomposition already happens in that time in the right. first pit. So uh, we also need to educate people about this that, you know, pit latrines last longer and that they need not be afraid of disease arising out of using uh, disease or the hassle of dealing with it when it gets full. Absolutely. You know, dis- disease probably comes more from defecating in the open when you're doing it next to someone, you know, who just right. did it than using a pit latrine. So, of course, that is also part of the education that needs to go, right. uh, you know, the, the behavioral change aspect that we are talking about. Right. Uh, similarly, I think one of the big problems is people have never cleaned a toilet before. Like there are many communities where they think it's, you know, historically somebody, somebody else's, else's job, job yes. to clean. And now that you have a functioning toilet at home, you have to clean stuff. If right. you're defecating in the open, you don't have any responsibilities in general. At most, put some water and then run yes, away. Or somebody else would put bleach on it and, you know, when right. you go next day, it would be clean again. So, uh, one of the things, uh, so when the census data came out a few years ago, uh, I'd sort of looked at what happened with uh, you know, over the last decade, 2001 to 11, how various districts and taluks in Karnataka have moved on this. There's something very interesting I found in that any state which had already crossed about 30-35% zoomed up a lot. Like from 35%, the move to say 70%, 80% toilet ownership at home. Construction, uh, at least. Construction. Uh, no, I I would say if census reports are toilet, it's by and large Usage a toilet well. and not a storage space. <laughs> so that was there. But for uh, um, districts and taluks, which were still below 30%, I didn't see them move much. And to me, I mean, think of it this way, right? If you have 30%, that means that in almost every locality, 
you might have at least 10-15% toilets. Right. What this means is one every one in every nine houses or so will have a toilet. That right. means you have one neighbor who has a toilet who probably uses it, knows how to clean it. Maybe just that is enough for you to build a toilet of your own and learn to clean right. it. And uh, so I think a lot of government focus might have to go on that critical minimum. You know, telling people uh, about this social norm like establishing it as a social norm telling them that hey these neighbors do it and mm-hmm. you must do it as well right. if people around you are doing it it's you know not as unhealthy there is no disease there is no impurity as such associated right. with it and be a part of your neighborhood in the sense that you know be do what they are doing as well they are changing their behavior you must as well right. And like you're saying, you know, once they they come to 30%, it scales up faster because right. then the community changes behavior as a group. Mm-hmm. So it is about, uh, you know, changing this, establishing this as a social norm. Right. I have another story. Um, I think uh, the London School of Tropical Medicine, along with a firm called Center for Gravity. Right. Uh, they did some work in southern Andhra Pradesh on uh, improving hand washing because right. hygiene is a big uh, allied component right so you have multiple routes by which disease vectors can get into human bodies and uh, so hand washing is a big step so when they went about it they found that the critical person who needs to wash their hands are mothers right Uh, people who are doing the cooking they're imparting education to the kids taking care of the house all of that and uh, what they found was that uh, first they were thinking of this narrative saying look there is disease everywhere it's gonna come and hit you no matter uh, from any direction you must do hand washing sort of scare people into hand washing right. and then they sort of flipped that around and said look the mother in that household already does so much so they sort of made this meme called the super amma mm. right so and super is a big word in Tamil Nadu right Hamsini it is so uh, the super amma who does these awesome things cooks takes care of the fields takes care of the parents everyone and then also does this other super thing which is wash uh, their hands and turned out uh, within six months or a year they found that the hand washing rate went from single digits to like half the population absolutely children imitate their mothers more than they would imitate anyone else so you have to know that they have to see their mothers visibly doing things Mm -hmm. and then they know that I must also do it because my mom does it and my mom who's this magician who can do anything and I want to be like her Mm -hmm. you know if they do it I want to do it as well so we remember I was saying that if you are targeting some behavior change towards children Mm -hmm. it has to you have to look at their context and see what influences them for example if you want to at a community toilet, you want children to wash hands. Children love stickers, right? We all know they love little tattoos and stickers. So if you, uh, if there is somebody who mans those toilets and there is a little stamp that they get after they wash their hands, they would do it just because they want to, you know, get the stamp. Right. Right. Uh, you and I won't care about it, but you have no idea how much they love getting these little stamps and stickers. Right. So Nidhi, um, the idea that there are these deep behavioral uh, changes that are necessary to achieve the sanitation outcomes that we want. This information is now about five to six years old. You know, by and large, people in the sector and so on know that this is the core of it and not poverty or something else. So is the Swachh Bharat Abhiyan doing any better? Do we know that it's used some of these insights well? So it is doing better in terms of at least acknowledging the problem. 
Okay. So half the step has been taken. They do understand that okay. you know behavior change needs to come about. All right. But it's three years, so we should be able to see some measurable progress. So right? you know, all the data that we have is self-reported. There are okay. hardly any independent studies uh, that can say, you know, that can prove what the government is claiming itself. Okay. In fact, there is a World Bank loan of one point five billion dollars that uh, was sanctioned for the Grameen, the Swachh Bharat Abhiyan Grameen program. and which would be released only when an independent study has been conducted okay and it hasn't been released so far all right so swachh bharat abhiyan 3 years in we have no clue how well it's working probably we'll have to wait for the 2021 census to really figure out yeah. okay thanks nidhi for coming in thank you for having me over thanks for listening to the 15th episode of the pragati podcast get the best takes on public affairs economics and politics at thinkpragati.com If you can think of any topics that you'd like us to talk about, send us a message on Twitter and Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pragati podcast either. We are pretty much there on every single platform. Excuse me bhaiya, excuse me. Bole madam. Menu mein kya hai? Menu mein seen and seen hai, podcast hai, on course hai, Cyrus says hai, Made in India, Rediscovery Project, Empowering Series, Sex Wax hai, IVM Likes hai, Simplified hai, Keeping It Queer hai, Things and Destinations hai, My Neighbor Zuckerberg hai, aur The Fan Garage hai. Aapko kya chahiye? Uh, ek baar repeat kar denge kya? Repeat repeat nahi karta hum. Aap jao ivmpodcast.com pe aur suno ye sab. Ya fir download karo unka app. Sab aapki ungliyon pe.